are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. And if we repeat enough, we'll end up with a full sentence, okay? Is that a good deal? So here we go. God's plan is for me to be part of His plan to recover what is lost. All right, we'll say it one more time. God's plan is for me to be part of His plan to recover what is lost. I found those words in the book of Philippians. So if you'll grab a Bible with me, would you? Well, that's not completely true. Not just like that, but that concept is in the book of Philippians. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. Okay, chapter 2, verse 12. So Paul, you remember, writes from a prison in Ephesus to a small group of persecuted Christians in Philippi. And he writes to encourage them to be unified in the faith. That's the central idea of the book, okay? So here we go, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then... I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So this is God's word for us today. You know, we have this great opportunity to be part of planting a new church uh, downtown. And so back uh, over a year ago, we began to talk about the fact that Pastor Chris Pollock had this calling from God, this vision to plant a church in Midtown. And Mikel Levine began to say, I believe that God is calling me to go. And then about a hundred other people from our church said, I believe that God would love for me to be a part of this. And so we're very excited about what's happening. Every Sunday evening at five o'clock, They have service and a rented facility, and we are working toward the purchase of a church over on 8th Street that we would like to buy. And so the idea is that the church will be called 8th Street Church. So the other night, something pretty exciting happened. Had their first baptism. And so what do you do when you don't have a church or a baptistry? Well, you go to somebody's swimming pool. And so the whole church showed up at Scott and Karen Dedman's house, who are members of this new church, and they had a baptism in their pool. And let me show you a picture, okay, of the baptism. Isn't this pretty exciting? And here's one more picture that you can see. So some of you, as you look at this picture, you're saying, wow, this is awesome, a baptism. And others are saying, wow, that is a really nice swimming pool at the Dedman's house. I, I, just, I just look at that picture right there. 
And something just kind of wells up inside of me. And the words of Jesus that we've been talking about for a few weeks comes back to my mind. Go into all nations and make disciples. Doing what? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. Everything I've commanded you. Just look at the picture. It embodies that commission. You see, here's the deal. God has a plan for you. And God's plan for you is to be a part of His plan in recovering that which is lost. So in the heart and the mind of God, He's saying, I've got a job for you, a vocation for you, a calling on your life. I have tapped you on the shoulder and I've said, follow me. And there's something that God wants you to be involved in. And when I look at that picture, that's it. (laughs) He wants you to be involved in that process. Just keep that image in your mind for a minute. He wants to use you in this whole plan that He has in sending Jesus to this world who died on a cross for the sins of the people. And He is saying, I am going to employ you to be a part of this whole process that I'm involved in to recover what has been lost. I want to help people come to restored relationship with me through my Son, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to use you to be a part of that. So here's what I think to myself, okay? I cannot, I cannot, I cannot one day come to the end of my life and say, Oh man, God had a plan for me. And I missed it. God had a calling for me. I didn't do it. God had desires in his heart that included in his heart that included me and I I didn't come through. I was not available. My life was full and I was busy and I just I didn't do it. I cannot and you cannot come to the end of your days and say God had a plan for me to be part of his plan to recover what is lost and I just did not get involved. Cannot do it. So let's let's dive into Philippians 2 together for a little while this morning, okay? So he starts with what word? What was the first word I read to you? I didn't hear you. Therefore. So we always laugh and say when you see the word in the Bible, therefore, you have to ask, what is that therefore, right? Because the word therefore is always a conjunction when we see it in the New Testament. It's always connecting what he's talking about now to something he's talked about previously. And what did he talk about previously? We were there last week. He talked about this idea of following the example of Christ in obedience. Of putting the interest of others above my own interest. You matter more than I matter. What concerns you matters more than what concerns me. I'm not going to live selfishly in life. I'm going to consider you first. It's not going to be all about me. It's going to be about you. And Jesus gave us that great example. And He said, it's not about me. In fact, I will go to the cross for you. I'm concerned for you, not about me. And so if I'm concerned about you, Jesus says, I will in obedience go to the cross. Because it's not about me, it's about you. And so how do we follow Jesus? Therefore, this conversation, how do we continue this conversation about following Jesus, this act of obedience and this act of putting others first? So Paul says, therefore... 
just as you were obedient in my abs- in my presence when I was with you. I was teaching you the Word of God and you were trying to obey. So now let's talk about the fact that I'm not with you anymore. Okay? So since I'm not with you, here's what you have to do. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. As soon as those words come out of my mouth, I want to just grab them and get them back in. Because I think they have so many struggles of trying to interpret them incorrectly. You know? This fear and trembling thing. Paul is not saying just bite your fingernails around God because he is going to zap you. He's not saying I want you to live your life in fear and trembling of God. Just be nervous that he is God and you're not. And he can do anything he wants to do to you. And he might if you mess up. Don't, don't, don't get that attitude. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about understanding the weight of this. He's talking about the quality of life that God has provided that you can live. He's talking about this sanctified life that is available for you, this life of being set apart, of not conforming to the ways of this world, but living this totally other way as a citizen of the kingdom of God while you're here living among the kingdoms of the earth. This is important stuff. I'm talking about your future here. I'm talking about what your life looks like from here on out. And then these words, work out your salvation. Oh, so you got to work out your salvation? Let's talk about what he does not mean by that, okay? When I was, when I was uh, fairly young, uh, and I, you're thinking, you're fairly young now, Rick, but when I was even younger than I am now, um, I was working at a church and uh, as a youth pastor, and I had a supervisor. His name was John Williams. Love John. He lives, he lives around here. And um, John's the kind of guy that uh, walked into his office one day and said, John, I'm struggling. Oh, yeah? That's just, you know, John. I remember one day John called me into his office and he had bought me a daytimer, Franklin Covey. Remember those before we had phones? And, uh, and he said, I got you something. I said, John, you got me, you, you bought this for me? What is it? You know, he's unwrapping, he's putting all together, and I'll show you how to use it. And I'm thinking, John, you, you bought this as a gift for me? Thank you. I get back to my office and I realize, oh, he thinks I need help in organization. That's why he bought it for me. I'm going to quit with the joke attempts. They're just not working this morning. It's a timing thing, isn't it? That's what it is. So anyway, I go and I said, John, I'm, I'm struggling. I understand that I'm, I'm saved by grace. I understand that's a gift, but then this whole life of obedience, and I know that I can't earn my salvation, but I'm trying to work this out in my head and my mind, so if being saved is free, if it's a gift, and there's this whole idea of works that goes with it, and this obedience to God, and I'm just trying to get it all straightened out in my mind, John, and he just looks at me and says, you're saved. I said, okay. He says, you're saved. I'm saved. You really are. I know you. I spend time with you. The Spirit that's in you bears witness with the Spirit that's in me. You're following Jesus. You've been forgiven. You're saved. I said, okay, I'm saved. He said, the works of obedience, 
And the fact that you live your life now to honor and please God is just a response to the grace that you've received. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. This whole salvation process is God's work. And Paul understands that in the very next verse when he says these words. It is God who works in you to will and to act. Salvation is all God from start to finish. It's not you. You get no credit. (laughs) Somebody says, look at you. You're doing good. And you just have to say, it's all God in me. I can't take any credit. So if, if that's not what he's saying, and he's not saying that we work for our salvation, but we work out. Big difference. He's not saying you're going to work for your salvation, okay? If you can just be good enough and try hard enough, and you can do that long enough, you can, you can make it, you know, then, then maybe you can get saved. No, no, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you work for your salvation. He's saying you work out your salvation. Then, then, then what does he mean by working out your salvation? What, what is he saying by that? Uh, let me let me let me think with you from this point of view for a minute, okay? I remember back uh, a few years ago, we have two daughters. Brittany is now 27, and Morgan is 21. But when Brittany was 19, we loaded up the family van, two of us in there, two of us in her car, and we head off to college. Five five hour drive. It was it was a rough weekend for us. I'll I'll tell you. And so we get, we get Brittany to school and we get her moved into her room and we get everything set up and we go to church with her on Sunday morning. We go to lunch after church and we go back up to her room to get a few things finished and we got to drive back home. And, and it's just four of us and we've never lived around family and so it, it has always felt like we're just a little family, you know. And I remember we're walking to the car and we, and we almost get to the car and Morgan was going into high school, ninth grade, and she just turns around with her arms crossed like this, and she just lays her forehead on Brittany's chest and just shakes and cries. You know? And so Annette and I were shaking and crying. You know? <laughs> and, and we were the most pathetic sight you've ever seen. Uh, for hours in the car, we just sniffled, you know. I mean, we were all just... You know, audibly crying in the car. Just, it was just so hard. Finally get home. I'm getting ready to go to bed. And I look over to Annette and I said, I'm calling her. Annette says, don't do it. I said, I can't. I, I'm, I'm going to call her. She goes, Rick, if she's in her room by herself and she's homesick and crying, it, you're going to, you, don't call her, please. I said, Annette, I can't. I can't not call her. I'm calling her. I pick up the phone. I call her. Hello, Britt. Hello, Britt? Dad? Britt? I can't hear you. It's really loud. I'm having a blast. Can I call you tomorrow? <laughs> sure. Hang up and Ed said, How is she? I said, She's okay. She's going to be all right. Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> you know what we did in the car on the way? Just me and Britt. Nat and Morgan were in the other car. We, we had the college talk. Britt, we have been with you all this way, right? I mean, we have been walking with you. We've been guiding you. We've been setting curfews for you. 
We've been guiding you about choices in life, and we've taken you to church for years now. When we get in the car and we head back home on Sunday, we're not going to be with you like that anymore. You've got to take responsibility, Brittany. I, I, want, I want you so badly as your dad to make sure church is always in your life. I want you to be getting up early in the morning like you always have and spending time in God's Word. I want you to be watching how you live and thinking about your behavior. I mean, I just gave her the college talk. Brittany, I'm not going to be there with you. And so you've got to take responsibility for your own walk with God now. We've just been trying to guide you the best that we can for all these years. And now it's up to you. That's what he's saying. I was with you and I walked with you and I was giving you instruction. But now in my absence, I'm not with you anymore. And you've got to take responsibility in your own walk with God. You've got to work out your salvation. I cannot do it for you. With fear and trembling, understanding the weight of this and what it means. I'm talking about your future here. And Paul is saying to those people in the church in Philippi, you have got to work it out. You've got to take responsibility. I can't guide you. I can't lead you. I'm not there with you anymore. You're on your own in this thing as far as working it out. And so you've got to ask questions like this. Every day of your life, these are the questions that you've got to ask. This business of being saved, what does it mean in the way that I live my daily life? This business of being saved, what does it mean in just the way that I live my daily life and the things that I do? This continuous act of following the example of Jesus in obedience. How do I live that out? How do I become like Jesus in my relationship with God and in my relationships with believers and in my relationships with people who don't know Jesus? You've got to work all that out. That's what he's saying. Now that Jesus lives in you, what does this business of being saved look like in a daily lifestyle? And this continuous act of following the example of Jesus in obedience, what does that look like in life? What does it mean to be like Jesus in your relationship with God and your relationships with these Christians around you and in your relationships with people who don't know Jesus? That's, that's what he's saying. But he's going somewhere. And here's where he's going. Did I ever tell you the story about running into an old friend that I was in seminary with and I hadn't seen him for years? And I asked him where he was pastoring and he told me and I asked him how his church was going and his answer was, better now. I said, oh, what happened? He said, we had two guys in our church that were best friends. So I don't pastor a large church, it's a smaller church. And they were buddies, I mean close friends. They both serve on our church board. But they got into a very bad argument with each other. And they quit speaking to each other. And he said, it got ugly. He said, one of the guys started sitting on the other side of the church while the other one stayed on this side of the church. And their families all sat on the side of the church that they were sitting on. 
And then people in the church started choosing sides, and they started moving to sides of the church. And he said, it has been awful. He said, but a few weeks ago, I preached. And after I preached, I gave an invitation. And when I gave the invitation, the guy on this side of the church started to walk out of his seat. And I thought he was coming forward, but he went the other direction. He went toward the back of the church, toward the door. And I thought he was leaving, except when he got to the door, he kept walking. And he came all the way around, and he came down to the other aisle. And he stopped where the guy was. And he says to him, Would you go to the altar and pray with me? Because I need to pray. Arm in arm, the two guys go to the altar together. And he says, The whole church just kind of landed on top of them like a big football huddle. And he said, It was over. The whole mess was over. That's where Paul's going with this. You've got a couple people in the church at Philippi and they're at odds with each other. There's division. We wonder if it's causing a fracture down the middle of the church. He talks about it in chapter 4, verse 2. These people have got to agree. And what he's calling for is unity. And so here's what he says in the next phrase. So you've got to learn to do everything without grumbling and arguing. So you've got to work out your salvation. You've got to ask the difficult questions. So how do you live this whole business of being saved? What does it look like in daily life? And how do you live out this continuous act of following the example of Jesus and obedience? And how do you relate to one another and to God and to people who don't know Jesus? And he says, we'll start here, okay? Let me just give you a specific guideline and example. Quit arguing and complaining with each other. Would you do that? Because when you do that, it creates division. And Paul's calling the whole book as to what? Oh, come on. Unity. you got to be together. Okay, so let's ask this question. So why, why, why does Paul say you got to work out your salvation? And you have got to ask the questions. What does this business of being saved mean to how I live my daily life? And, and how do I live out this continuous act of following the example of Jesus? And, and, and why should I, you know, just not live this life of grumbling and arguing and so forth? And he gives three reasons in the passage I read to you this morning, okay? N- number one, he says, so that you can appear blameless and pure before God. And faultless before this crooked and depraved, warped generation. So he said, I'm, I'm talking about your future. I'm talking about this life that God has made possible that you can live. I'm talking about living pure and faultless, without fault, blameless before God. I'm talking about this sanctified life, this life that is set apart, this life where God does incredible things inside of you and you live in a way that you never dreamed you could live. I'm talking about the quality of your own life. I'm talking about your future. And, and then the second reason he gives is so that, so that, you know, when I come to the end, I will say my labor wasn't in vain. It's, it's a personal comment that he makes. He talks about being poured out like a drink offering. When they would offer animal sacrifice, they would take wine and pour it over the animal. He says, I kind of feel like my life is being poured out for you and people like you. And that's okay. I'm glad. I rejoice with that. And you should rejoice that your life can be poured out too. 
But then he gives a third, a third reason. Okay? And so I want to talk to you about the third reason for a little bit. I ended up at a lunch one day with a guy. Because of a sermon I'd preached on the previous Sunday. He says to me, if anybody needs Jesus, it's the people that I work with. As far as I know, I'm the only Christian at my work. But they don't know that I'm a Christian. And it's not just because I haven't told them. It's because I don't really live like I should in front of them. At work, I tend to step over the line. I tend to compromise. If I were to go into my work tomorrow and tell them they should become Christians like me, they would look at me and say, why? You're no different from us. So Paul says the third reason is so you will shine like stars in the sky. So that you will stand out. So that you will be a witness. I don't ask you to write a lot of things down, but sometimes I just want to say, would you write this down on your worship folder and just keep it with you this week? Or would you write it in your phone? Would you just pray a prayer right now that just says, God, let me shine like a star in the sky, you know? Anybody willing to take out something and write something down this morning? If you're willing, just write those words down. That prayer, God, let me shine like a star in the sky for you. That's language out of Scripture. This is what Paul is saying. I want you to work out your salvation. I want you to go the extra mile. I want you to think about what this business of being saved means in the way I live my daily life. I want to think about what it is to live out this act of following the example of Jesus in obedience. I want to know what it is to live out this life of being like Jesus in my relationship with God and people around me and people who aren't Christian. Because I want to shine like a star in the sky. I want to stand out. I want people to see Jesus in me. And Paul is saying, you're to be the witness. But if you are arguing and complaining with each other, you have no witness. You lose it all. So I'm going to pull up the stool, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to look you in the eye, and I'm going to be done here in a minute. Before I'm done, I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes, okay? And, uh, and what I have to say is sad. Um, you ever go sit down and watch a movie, and finally the movie ends, and it's just sad? The person dies, and then the credits come up, and you're just left to deal with it, you know? Don't you hate that? Give me some happy stuff in life. Life is hard enough already. Why do we call that entertainment? I'm confused about that, you know. This story has a sad ending. So here we go. Paul, probably not writing to Jews. There may be a Jew or two mixed in to that little congregation, but they're probably Gentile. And so his strategy was this. He would go to a city to tell people about Jesus. He had a strategy. Do you have a strategy? I think it's a great question. I am being haunted by that question right now. What is my strategy 
for connecting people with Jesus. Paul had a very clear strategy. He would go to the synagogue, and when he would go to the synagogue, he would stand in the courts and he would talk to people about Jesus. In Philippi, there's no synagogue. To have a synagogue, you have to have ten Jewish men in a community to start a synagogue. They had none. What they had was a place of prayer. It's where God-fearing people, and God-fearing people were typically people who believed in God and prayed to God but had not converted to Judaism, okay? So he goes to the place of prayer and he meets a lady named Lydia. He tells her about Jesus. Then he, remember the picture on the screen, baptizes her and her family and they become charter members of the church in Philippi. Happens with a jailer, happens with a little slave girl. But what he does... In regard to the fact that they don't have a Jewish memory. They don't know the stories of the Old Testament. These people are Gentiles. He obviously instructs them in Jewish history. Because what he does in these paragraphs I've read to you is he fills it with Jewish memory. Poured out like a drink offering. That's animal sacrifice. And then he makes this statement about do everything without arguing and complaining. Every scholar that I've read says this, agree to this, that that is a direct reference to the people of Israel wandering in the desert. So that story goes like this. The people of Israel are in slavery. Moses says, God, have you seen my people? God says, we're going to let them go. He frees them from the Egyptians. They cross the Red Sea. Remember the story? And they find themselves in the desert. And it's in the desert that they begin to do what? Grumble and argue and complain. They blame God. They blame Moses. They question God. They question Moses. They're disobedient. And it's very sad. Because God had a plan for them. You know what the plan was? I want you to look at the screen. And you're going to see what the plan is that God had for them. Okay? It's from Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9. I will make you a light for the Gentiles. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God's plan is for them to be part of His plan. To recover what is lost. Okay? You see God's plan? I'm going to make you a light for the Gentiles. That my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. God's plan for them was to be a part of His plan to recover what was lost. And Paul is saying, don't be like the Israelites who grumbled and complained and argued. And who missed that generation inheriting the promised land and failed to be the light that God called them to be. And so now... What is God saying? Now you're the light. Now you have to shine like stars. You have to be the light in the darkness of this world. You have to be Jesus to people. Because my plan was for them to be a part of my plan. And they didn't do it. And so now I'm calling on you. And I'm saying that my plan is for you to be a part of my plan. See, I cannot, I cannot say that I'm going to come to the end of my life one day after having lived all of these years and just say, God, God's plan was for me to be a part of His plan to recover what was lost. And I didn't do it. I was busy. 
I was pastoring a church for heaven's sakes. My life was just full. I cannot come to the end of my life and say, God had a plan for me to be a part of His plan. And I didn't do it. I can't let my life have a sad ending. Neither can you. What does God want to do through you? What does God want to do through me? What does God want to do through us? So Harlan, you want to come up? Is that good? You guys want to stand with me? Father, help us to shine like the stars in the sky. God, help us to shine like the stars in the sky. God, help us, I pray, to shine like the stars in the sky. Help us, Lord, to shine like the stars in the sky be light in a dark world. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.